the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are not under the law when it comes to salvation. It's by grace we've been saved. But then we're saved to be slaves. Now that sounds like we've got a bunch of laws to obey then as slaves. How does all this flesh out? Join us and find out. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Now, Pastor Gary has been laying a serious foundation for us here in the early verses of chapter 6 in Romans, that in fact we've been saved by grace through faith, and it's not under the law. We have been set free from the law, but as we'll see today moving forward here in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 6 in Romans, we've been freed for a purpose, freed to be slaves. Now that sounds like a conundrum, doesn't it? We're free from the law, but yet we're slaves. To what? Well, let's talk about that. Here's Pastor Gary on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. When we hear the world say or talk about freedom, we ought to run as fast as we can in the opposite direction. Because you know what they mean when they talk about freedom and liberty. Freedom from God, freedom from God's word, freedom from the provincial morality of American Puritanism, freedom to live as you please. It doesn't matter how many ages and nations have been destroyed by trying to be made free from God. These madmen are still heralding this dangerous message in schools, pulpits, and podiums throughout our land, saying things like, be free, realize yourself, be true to yourself. These are sirens and are straight from hell. And the only way we will not be tempted to listen to them is if we plug our ears and remember Those in hell right now, languishing under the fiery wrath of God, are those who listened to Satan's lie. You shall be as God's determining good and evil for yourself. No, we need to forsake and flee. Western man had God's word. We turned against it. We've rebelled against it. And God is not being mocked, is he? He is giving us over to reprobate minds. He's giving us over to moral insanity. He's giving us over to political tyranny. He's giving us over to shocking depths of filth, like the men of Sodom, beating on Lot's door. Come and let us be gratified with what the men of the West have done. And God says, fine. I'll give you your perversity, but I'm going to send leanness unto your souls. 
God be praised. There is a different view of freedom than liberation from him. There is a different freedom. It is the freedom of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he gives to us. Now realize, it's the old gospel, but it is still as fresh as it was the first resurrection morning our Lord Jesus walked out of the tomb. He says, come to me and I will open the prison doors of your own dark heart, of your own corrupt, filthy, lustful, worried mind. I'll open it. I'll cleanse you from your sins. I'll restore you to God. That is my freedom, he says. Do you want my freedom? Then hear my word, and the Son will make you free indeed. Listen to me. You see, when the Lord Jesus draws us to himself, we no no longer think of liberty in terms of let me do what I want to do. Let me have the right of self-determination. Let me live as I please. No, we realize that is what has ruined us. And we don't want that. We want the true liberty of walking in obedience. Psalm 119.45 I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. And this is a willing slavery. This is a joyful slavery and the chains of uh, our peace with God and joy with God. The padlock that holds us close is the blood of Christ. It cleanses us from all our sins. By the way, the fact that many people in Santa Clara County will not come and listen to God's word, God doesn't care. He still holds them accountable for not going because... His word has been published, and there can be no claim of ignorance anywhere now that the Son of Righteousness rules at the right hand of the Father. So we ask this one question that confronts every one of us. Whose slave will we be? Shall we be the slave of sin leading to death? Or shall we be the slave of obedience leading unto righteousness? Now you notice in verse 15 a question that's very similar to the question that began the chapter, uh, when, uh, which says, when then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Now there has been some progress in the argument as you look back to the question in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin? that grace may abound, a slightly different nuance, because up to that point, the apostle had been showing that all of man's sin and degradation, Jew and Gentile, was the very occasion for God to display his grace with the coming of Jesus into the world, his son and our savior. So some people may have said, Well, then, if all that sin and all of that filth was cleansed the very time when God revealed his grace, maybe let's sin some more so that we'll have more grace. Let's enter into the chaos and from it we'll draw meaning. And it's always fun to make up with God anyway, isn't it? So let's just sin some more. Verses 1 through 14 of chapter 6 utterly repudiate that conclusion. 
We are one with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death. We have already studied this and saw that we are one in the resurrection, which means there must never, never, never be any thought of abiding in sin. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Sin is serious business for the child of God. It's not an idol. We don't think about it all the time. But we take it seriously when we are convicted over our sins or when we read in God's word important warnings. Notice what Paul says here in Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth. So recognize he's not talking about unbelievers in an ignorant sense. He's talking about those who have had some exposure to the gospel. Notice there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore or worse punishment suppose ye shall He be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despite or injury unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, the living God remains a consuming fire, right? And Paul will say that later in Hebrews 12. But listen closely. The glory of the new covenant is not that God has stopped being fearsome. The way God is preached today, one would think that that not to be the case, but that has has only been fairly recent as a development, that God is no longer fearsome. He's just kind of, you know, fluffy. He's an easy chair you get from Lazy Boy. It is cotton candy and popcorn and Coca-Cola. That's our relationship with God. Do you know what has changed in the new covenant? It's not God. What has changed is that we are now brought near to that fire with confidence. The confidence of sons that our our sins are now forgiven. So if anything, Paul argues here, it is more dangerous in the new covenant than it ever was in the old covenant to play with sin. To have loose views of it. Because we have greater a privilege because God's grace has been poured out at the price of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we must perish the thought. Chapter 6, verse 1, that because once when our sin had reached its high point, God brought grace, so perish the thought that we should keep sinning, that more grace should come. But now we have a second question. Because our hearts are fickled in another direction. When we hear verse 14, hey, 
sin shall no longer have dominion over you because you are not under the law but under grace. Oh, I'm, I'm not under the law? Oh, great. We may be tempted to think that we can simply ignore God's law as some people obviously were because God's grace abounds. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the law's curse has been satisfied. Of course, some people would translate that as that cursed law. Glad that we're no longer under it anymore. But that's not what it means here. It means the curse that God's holy law proclaims against lawbreakers. This is the old antinomian air. Antinomian meaning against nomos law. This is the old antinomian air that Jude talks about in verse 4 of his book, who turned God's grace, he says, into license. Hey, we don't need God's law anymore. We have grace. Sin's no big deal. We can sin now and be forgiven later. That is playing cards with the devil, my friends. And it draws again here in verse 15, the strongest condemnation. God forbid. Listen, God's grace does not give us permission to sin. It gives us power to be obedient. God's grace does not give us permission to sin or to have loose views of sin. It gives us power in Jesus, in union with him to be obedient to God. And thus, verse 14 is made even clearer by verse 15. Not under law does not mean we need not ever bother with God's law again. The only thing Jesus has taken away from the law is its rigorous condemnation of lawbreakers. He took that condemnation upon himself on the cross. And by his stripes, we are healed He did not take away our privilege, our responsibility to obey God's law. He now gives us the power to express our joy and our thankfulness to God for his mercy by an obedient life. Obedience is the way we walk in fellowship with God. Isn't that the way Christ lived? Isn't that the way he encouraged men to live? Do you remember his question in Luke 10? What does the law say? How do you read it? He asked the young man who came to him with a certain question about receiving eternal life. So the Lord Jesus Christ does not free us to sin. He didn't, this young man. Yet this error persists. That his coming and his obedience to the law means that we don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments any longer. We don't have to worry about looking to God's word wherever it is found. Remember, it's not only summarized in the Ten Commandments. It is found everywhere in Scripture. So men suggest all kinds of replacements. Like, what would Jesus do? Oh, our, our sanctified feelings. The, the leading of the Spirit. The New Testament only. But that is all based upon a faulty reading of verse 14. And that is that we are no longer under the law means. Just ignore it. Put it on the shelf. Look at it as a way of antiquity. We don't have to keep it. But that's not what it means. 
It means that we are no longer under the curse of the law that is proclaimed against lawbreakers. But turn to Hebrews 8. We, under, we need to understand that there is more that now that very law has been written upon our hearts, which is the essence of the power of the new covenant. Hebrews 8, verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, for finding fault with them. Notice the fault was not with the covenant. The fault was with them. Behold, he hath, when I will... But behold, he hath, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind. How can that be? The new covenant, if being not under the law means we don't need to worry about it anymore. Do you see the ignorance with which scripture is often pitted against itself? He says, I will put my laws into their mind. And the finger that put them on the holy tablets is the same finger that writes them on the tablets of flesh now by his Holy Spirit. And write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. Do you see? For believers who look to the cross. And who see that Jesus took the curse of our law breaking upon himself. That law is no longer a killer killing principle. Because our hearts are made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a dead letter, but it is a living principle that gives light and and guidance to us because our stony hearts have been broken and a new heart, a fleshly heart, has been given to us by the Holy Spirit. And what is written upon that heart? Forever is settled in the heavens, O Lord, that thy word shall firmly stand. And that law is ablazoned across the heart of every single believer. What does that mean? It means that our natures are transformed. So it is our delight to keep God's law. We might think, wait a minute. If I opened my chest and found my heart muscle, could I find? Uh, Of course not. No, the heart is the center of who we are, our moral center. And God has given us a new heart so that instead of hearing, you can't have another cookie and wanting the cookie even more because you were told not to. Now when God tells you, you can't have that cookie. When, the, when the, we seek his grace, we say, okay, Father, then I won't eat that cookie because I know I don't need to. For my heart is now like Jesus' heart and that is delighting to do the will of God. Now, our lawless age is going to chafe against this, and I'm not talking about the world here, brothers and sisters, because the world always rebels against God's law. I'm talking about those within the professing body of Christ. So let me urge you, for the revival of the true religion in our midst, for the death of antinomianism, and it must be killed,
for the death of cheap grace and even more for the glory of Jesus, we must reject all gospel imitations that see grace as opposed to God's law. You see, our Savior did not pay such an awful price for our redemption so that we could, as we please, live as we please and then feel better about it by sprinkling Jesus or the Holy Spirit or grace on top of that or equate our emotions with God's will. He died to cleanse us and give us the new birth. He died to make us zealous for God's workmanship to do good works. He died to make us like himself. And how is he? I always do those things that please my father. Now, where do we learn what pleases God? This is the question, really, isn't it? Where do we learn what pleases God? Is it my inclinations? Or is it, oh, I have the Holy Spirit? Is it popular opinion? One verse wonders? T-shirt piety? Is that where we learn? No, we learn it all of God's word, what pleases him, Genesis to Revelation. His law gives us a more detailed look as to how we are to live to please him. But remember, the Holy Spirit writes that law upon our hearts. So the only way we have the Holy Spirit is if we are putting ourselves under the authority of God's word. You know, we've watched too many movies. We have been too influenced by in some, in some respects, our charismatic brothers and sisters, that being led by the Holy Spirit is like some kind of giddiness or emotionalism. Let me tell you where real emotionalism is. Read Psalm 119. That is sanctified emotionalism. My heart breaks for the longing that it has unto the judgments of all times. Rivers of water run down my eyes because men keep not the law. I have seen the end of all perfection. Thy commandments are exceedingly broad. Do you want the Holy Spirit? Put yourself where he is. Put yourself where his pen is. And where is the pen of the Holy Spirit? He put it down when he finished writing Revelation 22. And now he writes God's law upon our hearts. And he says, here, this is the way. Walk ye in it. And you know, our our Savior said the same thing. Remember the question he asked in Luke 6, 46? You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now let's apply this a little bit to ourselves. When we believe this again, the question in verse 15 of Romans 6, and give the right answer to all of this, we will have something glorious to offer the world. We really don't right now. Some branches of the church do, but as a whole, rock star Jesus, social liberal Jesus, self-realization Jesus, no laws, just picnic Jesus, let your heart be your guide, Disney Jesus, There isn't anything glorious in any of these things. The real Jesus saves us from the curse and the power of sin. 
And he renews us in his blessed image. And he writes God's word upon the tablets of our hearts so that it is our desire and our ability in him to obey it. Then when we have that, we'll have peace like a river. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.